Blog Talk Radio. I stroll through the pictures What I've left behind You once again I'm locked up in memories They all intertwine The memories living In my mind I know tomorrow Cause that dawn will come You will never know Just what you've done Good evening, good evening, good evening, everyone. Thank you for joining us tonight on Stop Child Abuse Now. We are on scan number 3171, and I'm your host for tonight, Dr. Nancy B. Brown-Willis. And I'm with my wonderful co-host tonight, Ms. Kim Lakin. Uh, If you'd like to call in tonight and be a part of the panel, you can feel free to call 646-595-2118. And we would love to have you join us. Let me start by reading our um, mission statement tonight. Okay. NASCA, first I want to uh, break down what NASCA stands for. NASCA stands for the National Association of Adult Survivors of Child Abuse. Okay. And our mission is we have a single purpose at NASCA to address issues related to childhood abuse and trauma including sexual assault, violent or physical abuse, emotional traumas, and neglect. And we do so with only two goals. One, educating the public, especially as related, to helping society get over its taboo of discussing childhood sexual abuse, presenting facts, showing child abuse to be a pandemic, worldwide problem that affects everyone, offering hope and healing, through numerous paths, providing many services to adult survivors of child abuse and information for anyone interested in the many issues involving prevention, intervention, and recovery. Again, thank you all for joining us tonight on Stop Child Abuse Now. You know, this topic is very near and dear to, I think, everyone's heart who is on this call right now, but... um, This is a very important topic that we as a community need to discuss. And um, and the more we talk about it, the more we're able to raise awareness to this very serious, very serious um, issue that we're dealing with worldwide. Uh, You know, one of the comments when I was reading the mission statement um, that really, really stood out to me tonight, again, was, presenting facts showing child abuse to be a pandemic, worldwide problem that affects everyone. And that's exactly what it is. This is a a pandemic that is affecting everyone 
worldwide. So regardless of your gender, regardless of your ethnicity, regardless of what country you're from, or regardless of what's going on in the world, this is something that affects all of us. Even if it affects one of us, it really does truly affect all of us, Um, our children, our community, uh, how these adults, many times when you go through abuse, you know, uh, you know, when you grow up, sometimes, you know, it really does have an effect on you. Sometimes it can have an effect on you emotionally in the way that you live your life, in the way that you raise your children. And sometimes it can have an effect on you where you do enter the criminal justice system and you're angry and you're, um, you know, lashing out at others and or getting yourself in a lot of trouble. So, again, um, I know some of, uh, some of you guys were away, but uh, I was just kind of going over the fact that uh, one of the things, the main things that stood out to me when I was reading the bio statement was um, how uh, child abuse is a pandemic and how it's a worldwide problem that affects everyone. And, again, you know, when we say that, we have to understand that it affects us no matter our gender, no matter our ethnicity, no matter our cultural background. You know, we've interviewed people from all parts of the world, different countries, and many times we're able to relate in their story. Their story has certain points where we're like, wow, that that was an aha moment. I remember going through something like that. I remember that affecting me. And, you know, the age of the person, um, the ethnicity of the person, the language, we speak different languages, none of that matters. You know, it comes down, again, to so many similarities, unfortunately, in that area of abuse. We can hear somebody sharing their story, and we can really, really start to relate and be able to say, wow, you know, I remember going through something similar to that. Even if it's not the whole story, there are parts and points of a story that we can come together as survivors and say, wow, you know, um, I remember going through something like that. And so um, if that resonated with you or if you have any comments about that or any input towards that, please feel free to uh, to share. Uh, first, I'd like to open up and extend Miss um, Kim the, um, for her to be able to uh, share. I know she stepped away for a minute, um, but, again, the, the focus that I was getting was really just talking about um, that area of our mission statement here at NASCA where we talk about the fact that child abuse is, uh, you know, it's, a, it's basically a pandemic worldwide problem that affects everyone and that one of us, it affects all of us when it affects our children, when it affects um, them as they grow up and then they become bullies at school or they become, or they get bullied at school and or go into adolescence or teenagehood and then they're, uh, you know, reacting out of anger, um, hurting animals, hurting their friends, hurting themselves, self-harm. I've been dealing with a lot of youth, uh, you know, that are dealing with self-harm. They don't know how to deal with the pain, and so um, they internalize it, and then they start harming themselves, and then they many times live a life of depression um, that extends outside of just their life, and or, you know, they become abusive to their partners and or family members and friends and all of that. So, again, it, it may start with one person, but many times it bleeds out and um, and it spreads like a virus to others. Um, 
So again, Ms. Kemp, if you could join us, that would be great. And if you have a comment. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, you know, I was just um I was just doing some more research because I have to write a blog and I'm not the best at mm-hmm. blogs. I'm just I've never thought of myself as a writer. I've been in two books, but again, I've never really thought of myself as a writer or even written blogs. So I've been stressing about it. But one of the things that I found um, today that I don't think has been mentioned on here before, or I hadn't mentioned it, that it says that every year, you know, over 400,000 babies are born in the U.S. that will become victims of sexual abuse. So you were just talking about, you know, the pandemic and worldwide things. If you're talking that just in the United States, I mean, you know how many, of course you do, you know, I know. I think a lot of people realize how many other countries mm-hmm. it's so much more acceptable. Mm-hmm. And so you've probably got even more than that in some of those bigger countries that, you know, it seems to be kind of running rampant and it always has been. I've been doing this work, but <laughs> and then I think I I have mentioned on here before that it there's also over two hundred thousand dollars worth. That's probably a minimum of services that a, a sexual survivor will need. You know, they'll need over two hundred thousand dollars worth of services throughout their lifetime because wow. of the trauma that they endured. So those are just some interesting statistics that kind of even put a little bit, um, you know, wider scope on all of that. And we have, um, since we don't have a guest tonight, I let our, our panel know that we are just kind of opening it up. And you, you kind of started it. but So if there's, I have all of the, the lines open now, so if anybody's interested in speaking up and saying anything about what Dr. Nancy was just saying and I was talking about, we'd love to have you join us. So all your minds are open. Mm-hmm. Well, when they're Shut ready, up. they will maybe mm-hmm, still share. I wanted to say something, yeah. Miss um, Kim. You know, I know, first of all, we are, you are an expert. In your in your recovery, okay. So I know you probably don't see yourself as a writer, but of course you can above and beyond write books, right? You have books you. inside <laughs> of you. And and seriously, I know you've been a part of books, but like if you really sat down, uh, you know, like, I, and and the reason I'm saying that is because when I look at my book, my book is so thick; it has over 300 and something words um, pages. I'm sorry, in there. And I'm looking at some of the new authors. You know, I've had a few people, you know, share their books with me. And some of the books, they're really light, they're really thin, they're very big spaces. There's few, it's just, I'm like, okay, if they could do it, you know, it it reminds me and encourages me to say, look, if it's in your heart and you just start to get it out, you have so much to share, you know, with the world. And, And you're such an expert in your recovery. And so someone who's go, who has been going through or has been through or is unfortunately going through, anything near what you've been through, 
reading your book cannot wait until you, you know, fully get your book out, you know. And I don't even think that you're ever going to fully get your book out because it's like, it's like we're still writing our stories, you know. God's still writing our stories, so it's like never ending. But I'm sure you can write chapters and 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 um, volumes of books with the, just your experience, even if you just sat down and shared what you went through. And that was, you know, one. And then some of the things that help you recover, boom, that's a book. You know what I mean? But trust me, if, if you were to sit down, I, I know just from hearing you speak and a lot of the wealth of knowledge that you've learned, you know, you've taken a lot of time to work on yourself and to educate yourself. And so you have tools. And that's really one of the main things um, that, that's important about writing a book is giving people some tools to help them recover. And with us interviewing people and hearing people's stories, you know, working with NASCA um, in these sessions, we learn a lot, you know. We don't know everything, but we are blessed to be in the presence of some people that have shared some wonderful jewels. And so that incorporated with what we already bring, I think, you know, would be a very powerful book, and I can't wait for it. There was something else I was going to make a comment about, but that just, like, really stuck out. Oh, I know what. Okay. So, um, what, okay, so I went to South Africa eight, nine, ten years ago, somewhere around there. And I went to Johannesburg, and um, I went to Johannesburg, and I can't think of that place right off the top of my head because I have a lot of information in my brain. So right now, um, but this just came up. When you were talking about different countries and some of these statistics that you were talking about, and I wanted to double check, were those statistics just for the United States? Yes. Yeah, those are oh, just United wow. States. <laughs> okay. That's why I was saying so, it's got to be so much higher in some of those other countries because you know that it's so much more prevalent. It's right. more open even, you know. Yeah. And and the reason why I said that is because I remember when we were driving down down the dirt roads in some of these in some of these parts of the country, because some parts are very well-developed, beautiful, beautiful. Uh, and then there's some, of course, it's like in many other countries, you go there and it's just, you know, very poor. And so uh, we were driving by these little townships, and some of these houses were made out of metal. Um, they were made out of just, you know, whatever they can find, pretty much, okay? So they didn't have electricity. And I was there with uh, one of my clients at the time who was uh, a professor at U- at uh, Northeastern University. She was one of the directors for, I believe, I'm not sure, because I went to school for criminal justice. I believe she was like one of the directors for one of the criminal justice departments. And then we were there because we were focused on trying to help bring electricity to these communities so that they could have one hub that they can go to in each township and they can go to school. So a virtual school almost in every township, and that's what we were there. Pretty much those were the rights we were there trying to establish. Uh, and when was the point is, while we were driving through these townships, I saw, you know, some women out there walking barefoot. Well, I saw a couple with their babies. And mind you, there was nothing nowhere near, meaning they were walking maybe to another township, and it was so far away. And I was just like, oh, my God, if anything was to happen to this woman, and even in those little townships that they're all living in, it's so many houses far back, far back, far back, far back, far back. 
that if anything was to happen, somebody was to get beat up and abused, who are they going to call? There's no 911. They don't have phones. They don't have a way to speak up. They don't have access to anything. So it's so much easier to be abused in many of these countries, these under, you know, privileged countries um, where they don't have resources, they don't have phones, they don't have money, they don't have access to, to, for, to call for help. Um, and, you know, when you see that, I mean, you can see how crime can be so prevalent. I mean, it's easy to get away with murder, literally. And um, it was just very scary because I know I've been hearing a lot about abuse that's been going on in some of these colleges, some of these schools. And um, they're trying to really, um, like, lock down on this. But, again, you know, this is happening. I don't know if you ever watched this show, I Survived. Anybody ever seen that show, I Survived? I haven't. No, you haven't? No. No? Yeah, well, that show is, um, again, is just so... Um, it's very traumatic, but it's really people talking about, like, hey, I was walking down the street, somebody jumped out the bushes with a knife and took me in the back of the bushes and down some hill, and nobody could see me, nobody could hear me. I could see the cars almost like dots, or somebody took me and stuck me in their trunk, or, you know, and I know um, one of Miss Carol's friends, um, I believe is Michelle, you know, and Miss Carol, they talk about being. Um, human traffic, you know, being uh, kidnapped and uh, going through those type of things. So, you know, imagine us here in this country going through this and how hard it is sometimes to even find these people, but then going through it somewhere where it's like pretty much impossible to get help or cry for help or really be able to find the person that abused you. There's no cameras in every corner they're getting caught. They're like living like back in the days when crime was a lot easier to commit. You know? Yeah, I have a a little yeah. bit of a, a story that that <laughs> goes along with that. And yeah. um, I was going to, so it was years probably, well, it must have been about 20-some years ago, 22 years ago maybe, Um, because I was doing child grief therapy at my church, and I had gone to Oregon to go to this intensive week-long program that um, helped us understand how to set up these support groups for children. And so Mm. I had gone out there to do that, and um, and at the time, I was smoking cigarettes. I don't any longer. But um, <laughs> I mm-hmm. had gone outside to smoke from my hotel room, and it was in, like, downtown Oregon. And I had no idea where I was at. I didn't have a clue, you know. But I had gone outside and and to smoke a cigarette, and I thought, okay, probably the safest place would be, like, around, you know, kind of in a corner area because – there's light and people and, and stuff. And um, so I was just standing there, and this guy comes up to me, and, and it wasn't, he didn't take me anywhere, luckily, <laughs> but it scared the crap mm. out of me. 
Um, he comes up to me. He's a he's a homeless guy. You can tell he's a homeless man. Mm-hmm. And very belligerent. I don't know what he was on. Probably alcohol. I don't know. But um, it could have been anything. But he started telling me about how he was just down at the river and that this guy down there, you know, was taking somebody and drowning them or something. And I'm sitting there going, and then he looks at me, and I had um, a Philadelphia T-shirt on. I don't know. I think my husband had gone there or something and gotten me a T-shirt. And it just said Philadelphia. And he goes, Miss Philadelphia, you should not be on this corner. This is other people's corner. And I went, oh, my gosh. No, that's not me. <laughs> no, that's not why I'm here. <laughs> I was like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> they, did they think oh, they were like, what, what did they think? A prostitute. Probably a prostitute. Okay, I was like, yeah. either that, that was, or drug dealing. Okay. No, I think he thought I was a prostitute because I was just standing there smoking a cigarette. I mean, oh. and I thought, and, and he finally, I think that it finally clicked with him that I wasn't a prostitute. And he goes, yeah. you shouldn't be standing out here. And he walked, right. and I, so then I went inside real quick. I was like, okay, I'm gone. See ya. <laughs> I'm out of here. But I guess just a street down um, was a, a pretty major prostitute street or so. You know, it wasn't that far from where I was staying. And so um, this guy, I mean, he could have done anything to me at that point. I, I was very vulnerable. <laughs> A position. I mean, he, you know, luckily, I guess he was homeless, so he couldn't really, but he could have just snatched me off the street, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've thought about that a lot. That's scary because things like that happen all the time and you don't ever know mm-hmm. so, what, what brings it on. And I wouldn't have ever thought that I looked like a prostitute ever. <laughs> I didn't think I did. But, um, mm-hmm. You know, people are down on their luck a lot of times, and they don't, you know, they can't yeah. do anything other than, I guess, sell their body. I mean, I've always thought of, yeah. of course, when I have to have money quick, I know that there's always kids to babysit. And so that's kind of where my mind always goes. You know, it's not like, so I've never been in that mind frame of, I can, I'm going to do anything I can, including selling my body. But um, mm-hmm. you think about the, the circumstances that, you know, all of those women out there are put in every single day, too. That's terrible and it's scary. And yeah. So anyway, that's my, my little scare story that <laughs> has stuck with me for, you know, over 20 years because with my eyes a little bit too, oh, I guess I need to be a little more careful and <laughs> not be so yeah. You know, naive about what's going on around me, or yeah, so. right. And it's interesting because <clears throat> that is so true. Many times, you don't know where you are. You don't know the type of neighborhood that you are because you're so like you're a nice person. Your mind, you know, you're a nice, like you said, vulnerable, nice person. You don't know where you are, but people who have that criminal mindset or, um, you know, who are out to get you or whatever will, 
you know, go up to you, pull your, take your purse, run, do something because they know you're not from there. Because if you were from there, you would know not to stand there. So that puts you in the place right. where it's like <laughs> definitely not from here. You're vulnerable. Because from yeah. here, know not to stand there. Someone up to, you know, for any type of attack, you know. Um, when you were saying that story, I was remembering uh, one of the stories from I Survived where this lady was, um, she was just, I don't know if she was like standing uh, trying to find out how to take a bus or, or something like that. And then somebody just ran up to her and like threw uh, an acid on her face or, you know what I mean? People just do crazy stuff. She wasn't from around there. She was just trying to figure out where she was, you know, trying to, and, you know, some people will just do all kinds of crazy things. And so uh, when we're, and that's good that you brought that up, Ms. Kim, because when we're traveling, um, you know, a lot of women and men recently have been into solo traveling. And it's so important to, to really do extensive research of the areas where we are and where we should not go. Now that we have more access to reviews and people sharing information, um, those are some of the things that we can do to try to stay safe and hopefully prevent uh, being attacked or kidnapped or, you know, going through anything traumatic like that. Um, you know, like you standing in that corner, somebody could have jumped out of a van and kidnapped you and forced you into prostitution. I mean, prostitution sometimes... Right doesn't happen by choice, you know, unfortunately. Um, sometimes <clears throat> it happens. Uh, some people have a drug issue, and so they just fall into that um, into that realm. And then some people are end up homeless with small children, and they end up in that realm. And then some people are kidnapped. And I remember one time I was in L.A. years ago with one of my friends, and we were at the beach, and this guy was speaking to us. He seemed really nice. I think he was like uh, like Moroccan type of person. He had like that kind of Middle Eastern look and accent, and he seemed very nice. And he was speaking to us, and he was like, "Yeah, you know, I have this. Uh, we have this party bus. If you guys want to come, we're like, yeah, we're just visiting." So he knew because during the conversation we shared that, and which probably we shouldn't have, but hey, we're like, "Yeah, you know, we're visiting." We're out here just, like, you know, hanging out right now. And he was like, yeah, you know, we have a party bus. If you want, you can just come with us. And we go to, like, four or five different clubs. And then, you know, you just go in the club and then just be back to the bus within, like, an hour and a half or an hour. And then we go to the next spot. And in my head, I'm like, but what if you miss the bus? Do they leave you? And then you don't know where you are. And, and you know, I remember my mind, things were going through um, my mind. And so I didn't say anything else. I was just, you know, kind of listening. And then my friend was like, yeah, you know, that sounds interesting. And then I said to her after, you know, because I was like, oh, yeah, give us your number. We'll give you a call. And after he left, I was like, heck no. We'll wake up in a hutch somewhere. You know, people put something in your drink, and then you wake up, like, in chains in Mexico. Like, literally, we're in L.A. Mexico's, like, right down the street. <laughs> like, anything could happen. You know, and you wake up from drinks like, yeah, guys, let's take shots on the on the bus. You're all innocent, thinking you're like surrounded by cool people, and it turns into a complete nightmare. Complete nightmare. 
So, you know, we we have to just really practice being safe uh, and sharing those stories with with our youth because they're so, you know, they're, they're sweet and they don't know how bad, like, people can be, especially when we protected our children so much from certain things. And they're just nice and they just would not even know how, you know, how this world, how some people in the world, because there's a lot of beautiful people, but how some people in the world could be. Um, I wanted to know if anyone else, I know the mics are open, um, if anybody has a comment or a story they want to share so far. Well, I mean, I was just reading as you were talking because I've had this question in my mind, like how many people who are in prostitution were sexually abused as kids. And I found this hope for the future. They said they did this Hamburg study and 83% of prostitutes had trauma experiences in early childhood. 48% were cases of sexual abuse. Um, I don't find that surprising at all. Um, You know, I mean, I can make a lot of comments, honestly. I appreciate you guys talking. Like, it's very powerful. NASCA is very powerful because it's very lonely to survive um, child abuse in a lot of situations because, like, when it happens in your home, I mean, those are usually people going to be reluctant to talk about it. Or even if they share trauma with you, it's even hard for your siblings to talk about it. Um, and it's not something that, that a lot of people, you know, it's not very socially acceptable to, like, you know, meet somebody and start talking about it. So, like, having a space for it is a really big deal. And so I appreciate you guys immensely. <clears throat> Thank you for that. And you're and you're so right because, um, you know, many times, you know, some of the stories that I've heard um, Ms. Kim share about her abuse, um, I can relate to, and I'm like, oh, my God, that's not something I can just share with anybody because guess what? Most people would not understand. And so having a support uh, system, you know, uh, like we have here right now in, with NASCA, I think just like you said, it's extremely important because people feel alone. It's a very lonely recovery. Is a can be, can be. It doesn't have to be, but can be a very lonely road, and it's very personal. So you're going to go through those times where you are going to feel alone, even if it's not always lonely. There's going to be times where you're going to be alone in your recovery, and there's going to be times like that. But it's not easy. And like no. you said. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's full. I mean, like I've said this before. I haven't been on here for a while, so maybe I can say it again. Like, I ended up taking classes in college, and I took victimology, and I'm so glad that I took that class because they talked about the denial. They talked about the fact that when you tell people. They get mad or they deny, they think you're lying or you did something to cause it because it makes them uncomfortable or because it's personally threatening to them, you know. And, um, I mean, I think that a lot of people, especially probably if they haven't had the experiences themselves, like don't understand. I tried to open up 
Yes, but I mean, like I'm in my 40s, and you know, I somebody I had known since high, like before high school, since we were children. Um, but she always seemed to have like a very, she seemed very lucky, you know, like she had two parents, and like I used to sometimes I would go over there and I'd feel so uncomfortable, like trying to figure out how to be normal, um, because I didn't have that situation that she had. But she would tell me she loved me and fond memories and all this stuff. And uh, so we kind of would keep contact, you know, with the Facebook, oh, and I love you, and you're my soul sister and all this stuff. And then one day I tried to open up to her, and she was like, I know you've had mental health diagnoses, and basically was like flat out like, I don't, I don't believe that. I don't believe what you're telling me. I think that I would have known if those things were happening, because she sat next to me at lunch in high school, like, I'm going to talk about it in the lunchroom, you know, and um, I'm in my 40s, and it's like, I'm glad, (laughs) you know, like, I didn't talk to her about it for so long, and I think it's because I knew, you know, like, that it wasn't going to be good if I tried to talk to her about it, Um, but I feel like that's, I mean, I've, because I've talked to a lot of people, and you know, it's a very common response that when you start to talk about things, when we talk, start to talk about abuse that people, like, shut down, they can't handle it, um, or they say, you should talk to a counselor. Um, <laughs> and, um, yeah. you know, I, I, I mean, there's times where, yeah, I mean, I've talked to a lot of counselors, and that's a whole book in itself, but um, I'm actually a counselor now. But sometimes you just want to be able to discuss things with your peers, you know, and hard conversations, not everybody's always up for them. They have their own lives, their own things they're coping with, and it's just not right for everybody all the time to have these conversations. You know? That's so true. Um, you know, I've I've had that similar thing happened where, you know, you feel like you're close to someone enough to share and um, and someone may be like, hmm, they don't see you the same because um, the stigma that's associated with um, with people who have been through abuse, like you said, you took uh, a class, which was, I'm, I'm taking many classes at this point now, but you took that class, mm-hmm. <clears throat> that victimization class, and you learned some things from that. Some people are misinformed. They've never really had, they've never met someone who actually has been through it and known them like she knew you differently. So now we sometimes, some people will categorize us who have been through that and be like, oh, that's why she's like, oh, okay. Then they start making up connections in their mind and all of this instead of just knowing like, Hey, I'm a regular person like you, like you. And I went through this and mm-hmm. you're somebody that I, I find to be near and dear to my heart that I wanted to share that with just something just to share. And I, and you probably didn't expect the relationship to change, but it just becomes like, you know, someone that you open up to and it's like your heart gets broken again when you share it with somebody you care about and Yeah, I mean, I kind of knew, like, I think I, I, like, I I wanted it to, like, I took a chance, and I I, I wanted to be able to do it, but I think on some level, like, Mm. I knew there was a reason that I never talked to her about it, Mm. you know Mm. what I mean? Mm -hmm. And, um, 
that's just how it is. Sometimes we just we just have to find out, you know. And um, you know, I mean, whatever. You know, we go on. Everybody goes on in their process. I'm trying not to spend a lot of time judging people or trying to see them in one particular way just because how they reacted on one time. We're all, we're all learning, right? We're all, we're all learning and growing every day. I read something this morning. It was like, I thought I knew who I was this morning, but I've changed a few times since then. <laughs> you know? Uh, what did you read? Oh, I... I, I it was exactly that. It was just a comment about like how much just we transform throughout the day sometimes when we have a lot of experiences. I've been experiencing that today in the last couple of days. Feeling transformed like you're transforming? Yeah. That's cool. So true. Is it just I like think... a, a sense, or is it like something that's happening? Wait, did you say I'm sorry? Is it like a sense that you feel, just, or is it like you notice why it's happening, or as it's happening, like you, you are like conscious while it's happening? I notice as it's happening. Yeah. Why do you think that happens? Why do you think that happens? Um, I have no idea. Do you have an answer? No way. Nope. Anybody <laughs> else? Why do you think that's happening? I think it's like oh, I when think you we get... do go through shit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Well, and if you're at a point where you start talking about things or like you're facing things like you might I don't know maybe things happen rapidly like when you're ready and you start like confronting certain truths I don't know sometimes we're just lucky everything seems to click what are you going to say Ms. Kim? No, I was going to, I mean, I know I've mentioned this in the last few weeks or so, but my, my daughters, I have two daughters and a son, and I never talked to them about my abuse before I started doing this work about seven years ago. And, um, and I'd always told them though, that i I want to talk to you about it. You know, come to me when you're ready to hear more. Because I didn't want to push it on them, and I didn't want to, um, you know, mm-hmm. keep it a secret either anymore. I didn't keep it a secret. And, um, and I started, you know, writing books, writing inserts in the books, and, um, you know, doing NASCA. And my son, who is my youngest, he's 24. He's, um, from the very beginning that I started this, he started coming to me with questions and we've had open dialogue and we've always had that kind of relationship. It's been really nice <laughs> that, um, you know, that I, I get to have that with him and, and we've always had kind of more of a spiritual connection and, um, mm-hmm. as well. And, um, 
so my daughters both at two different times. My oldest daughter, who's 36, um, she listened to one of my NASCA podcasts, which was like one of the first ones I think that I did when I first told my story and came out and with my story. And so she listened to it, but she didn't say anything to me about it. And then oh. a while later, she it kind of just blurred, you know, she kind of blurted out because we were trying to do therapy together that um, mm-hmm. she had listened to it and she didn't know what to do about it. And, you know, so it's this very attacking type of attitude. And um, mm-hmm. and then my other daughter, who is 28, bought, decided to buy the last book that I was in and didn't talk to me about it, but read it and then got very upset with me about some things in there as well. And mm-hmm. um, and I just, I, I've struggled. I mean, I've, I've really been struggling with this for about a month or so because I've, I've tried to leave that door open for them and they chose not to go that way. They chose, I think like a lot of people do, and what you guys were just talking about is a lot of times They'll choose to blame the victim because it's easier, you know, it's easier to blame them. Why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? Why didn't you say this? And we hear about that all the time. And you, and then we wonder yeah. why it takes so long for people to come forward and tell their mm-hmm. story. I mean, I was 50. I was almost 50. I was like 48. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 48 when I, when I first told my story. Um, publicly. And I didn't tell, you know, none of my friends that I had in my kids' schools and none of my church, you know, nobody had heard that side of my story. And um, nobody really wanted to either. And unfortunately, that's what kind of pulled me out of the church that I was in and that I raised my kids for 25 years in is because um, nobody wanted to hear who I really was and, and my story. And I really was ready to share it. And so it was a good thing, but it was a really hard thing to do at the time because I was actually working at my church at the time. But, um, yeah, people just have a really hard time. And I'm struggling with that right now with my kids. Yeah. Well, and I think because they love you, too, I mean, that's their mom. Um, Even though they're adults, you know, there's there's they're going to feel it differently than somebody else's because that's their mom and they don't want to think of their mom as being hurt. And, you know, and I also think people just kind of reflexively, they run scenarios like how, how do we get out of this? How do we not have this be like this? You know? And so maybe they don't mean it. It's like somebody's husband dies and like people go up to the grieving window and they're like, was he wearing his seatbelt? Like, why Why would you do that? Yeah. But it's because people are <laughs> not always aware of themselves, like how it's affecting the person that they're asking, because it's just coming from that fear that's inside of them, you know, that they they don't want it to be like this. They want things to be safe. I don't know if your your, your girls have children of their own. They do, um, yeah. They both have three. And and I think it makes people yeah. fear for their own children sometimes, too, when they hear certain things as well. Well, yeah. And and that's what they throw at me. So 
So, you know, unfortunately, even though I've been able to stop the sexual abuse, you know, from continuing to happen generationally, there's still this dysfunction in our family. And, and I'm the first one to admit it. I'm actually probably the only one. No, my son would admit it. <laughs> but we've done a lot of work on ourselves. And, mm. you know, the rest of the family does, doesn't do that work. They just react. Mm. And so it does cause a lot of hurt feelings and, you know, a lot of resentment. Yeah. But so, you know, they, they threw that, both of my girls threw that. Well, I don't even know if I can trust you anymore. You can't trust me because I was abused by my dad. I mean, mm. that doesn't mm. make any sense <laughs> to me. And I just like, you know, think, think about can that for a minute. And tell them. Right. Sorry. Because I didn't, yeah, they can't I didn't tell them. And, and tell they, them. yeah. And they have mm. Oh, you know what? I did get dad. a reaction like that. Because I told somebody and, like, she was like, I would have known about it. And then she mm-hmm. said to me, she was like, well, I guess we weren't as good as friends as I thought we were. And yeah, I was and like, like, oh, my gosh. Like, they really what are don't you understand. To do it? They really no, don't understand. I mean, it, well, I mean, I, in my, I mean, I, you know, I don't know when you started talking about stuff. But there's so many different Seven years ago. Yeah. Yeah, So, like, most of your life, you weren't talking about it. I had, you know, an experience where people um, were investigating a situation, and they had heard about things that had happened to me and started to question me about things that happened when I was a kid that I wasn't allowed to talk about. And it was many, many years later. And, um, you know, that inquiry was, um, it was extremely painful. And, but what happened at that time was they jarred memories, you know, and people think, well, how could you forget things like that? But, you know, it, there were drugs involved, there were threats involved, and things had happened a long time ago. And if I had talked about it, I had been threatened, like, multiple times. There were many things that happened to me. And um, and they would say I was crazy. So it was like there was no way for me to prove it. Nobody believed me. I had brain damage from the drugs and from the trauma, you know. And it, it's – I don't know exactly – what the tipping point was. I mean, it actually happened to me where, like, I had forgotten a lot of things, and then I finally started writing, um, you know, and when you're older, you have more of a capacity to interpret what happened to you. And uh, But when I first started to write about the things that happened when I was young, because I had never even processed it, it was coming out in, like, a child, like a juvenile kind of way because I still saw it through like those little kid and teenager eyes and, and, and who I was then. So it's been quite a, a journey, you know, and it's like people have no clue. Like they have no clue what it is to try to process trauma like that. It's just like, well, if you were a good friend, you would have just told me. <laughs> like I couldn't even talk about it at all. 
you know? Right. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry that happened to you. It's hard. No, I, I mean, it's, it's good to, to, to have these conversations because other people yeah. probably need to hear it. Right. And, you know, some of what you said, yeah, and some of what you said many people can can relate to, unfortunately. Many times when you are telling your story, there's people that will not believe you. You know, that's very Mm -hmm. hurtful. That's extremely hurtful. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't expect people to necessarily believe me just because I've known people to lie a lot and I think that people do lie. Um, But I I wouldn't, I would never treat somebody like they were a liar, especially when I had no, no reason to think they were lying. You know what I mean? Like I wouldn't, I, I don't know, you know, I just hear people, they talk and their emotions and, you know, I, I accept what they're saying, that they're, this is the experience that they're having, you know. But, you know, I, I don't even expect people to necessarily believe everything I say, but don't act like, I don't expect them to act like they know I'm lying either, you know what I mean? Like, because right. I'm not lying and they weren't there, so they have no idea what happened. People do that to make yeah. themselves feel better sometimes because they don't want to think about all those ugly, terrible things happening. Right. They and, prefer and to what, think we were lying or crazy. And some people don't mm-hmm. want to face the truth. And sometimes when you start talking about your truth, sometimes they've been through it too. I went through that where – um you know, when I started talking about it, I had some pushback from family members. Come to find out, they went through it too. Okay. Yeah. Only because you're ready for your recovery and you're ready to walk in your healing and you're, you know, feeling free enough. Some people are still bound to their shame and or denial and shame and embarrassment, and they're not ready to, to face it. And you bring in right. light to it, them to face it a personal issue, unfortunately, with some people. Well, and I think also, like, the fear of retaliation sometimes is (laughs) very real. You know, like, people are also quiet because, and that's another thing. It's like, yeah, I mean, like, especially if somebody's implicated in what you're talking about, you know, that makes it hard for people to talk about it and, you know, sometimes there's just a little yeah. layer. <laughs> like the onion, peeling the layers. And sometimes it's not only um, sexual abuse. Sometimes it's physical abuse. Sometimes emotional abuse, verbal abuse, physical abuse, um, and or witnessing a loved one, a parent being abused as a child. That's very traumatic. You know, but whatever it is that you've been through, you know, you should be able to talk about it. Whatever it is that you need in your healing process, you should be allowed to do for yourself, for your healing process. I don't think people should take that away from you. Should not have the right. Yeah, and I think everybody has different time frames of it as well on how long it should take them, when they're going to be able to work through it all. 
because some, like you said, it's a peeling back or something, those layers, and you start to realize, especially if you, you know, get to our age <laughs> a little bit, when we've lived a little while and we've, you know, notice and look back and see certain things and, and put them into perspective that, no, that was that was wrong and this was right and that was wrong and, you know, that's the way it is. And um, even talking about your, when you were just saying, um, Dr. Nancy, about it could be anything. I mean, I had oh, another experience just recently with um, my aunt saying to me, you know, I didn't realize, you had told me that your, you know, that your husband was could be verbally abusive, but nobody else mm. ever saw that. He never showed that to anybody else. That was that was for me. And um, she goes, and then my daughter. So my aunt, I've got two aunts, one on my dad's side and one on my mom's side, and they're both close to my age because my mom was so young, and and then my stepdad was young too, but um. You know, she said, so that their, our kids would grow up, to, you know, grow up together and have sleepovers and stuff. And um, I guess one of her daughters who would come over and have a sleepover said to her not too too long ago, you know, when I was over there, mom and would have sleepovers. I always heard Andy yelling at her. I never heard him yelling back. And um, And so, you know, that raised voice. And so you never really know who's paying attention, especially when it comes to children. I mean, children pick up stuff like that. And, you know, I'm sure we weren't in the same room because I would have walked away if he started yelling at me in the same room as the children. So obviously they heard us from a different room too. But but I guess that, with that knowledge, when she told me that, you know, she goes, well, it's not that I didn't believe you, but it just made it a little bit more you know, hit home a little bit more when my daughter said that. And I'm thinking, really? <laughs> you couldn't have just believed me? So I, I yeah. totally get that, too. I had that kind of reaction. I was like, you didn't really believe me until your daughter said that it was true? Yeah. Huh. But so I think, like, again, if you've, had, if, if you've known people, like if you've had people in your life that, that like, make up a lot of stories, you know, and you've had people, like, break your trust. You know, it's not about you necessarily, right? It's it's her, you know, and her ability to believe what people say. But, yeah, what is... It's, it's, but, of course, yeah, it hurts. It hurts. You want them to just, like, know, like, just know your soul, that you're being honest with them. Right. Yeah. Like you said, it's still hurtful. You know, it's still hurtful. Um, but I think it's so important for us to just, you know, I'm at the point in my life now where I just distance myself from anybody who's not loving, supportive, encouraging. I try to encourage people. I think, I, at least I think I try to do that as much as I can. And I'm very sensitive. Like, I love people. I love um, supporting people. Once I feel like somebody's rejecting me or being mean or I pick up just that type of spirit, I remove myself. I, I try my best to just remove myself. And that's to protect myself 
as for mental health purposes, you know, self-preservation. Mm-hmm. I just, um, that's what I do because sometimes when you force yourself um, to be around people that are not accepting or respectful of you and or um, it, it, it does you more harm. It does you more mm-hmm. harm in your mind. You're trying to understand what well, you know you wouldn't do that to them. And, and unfortunately, like, that's a child, that is, that is a survivor of child abuse issue sometimes because, oh, yeah. yeah, like I had to really become aware of that because I did that for a lot, a, a lot of times. Like, I mean, it, and with people where it's like, why would I even care that they don't like me? Um, I would like want them to like me, and so right. it's terrible. It's terrible when you invest yourself more in trying to make the people who are not being nice to you don't necessarily want you around. <laughs> like trying to trying to make them love you because that's like continuing sometimes that 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 same relation that same thing as a child that when you're doing when you're trying to get the people around you to care about you. Yep. You know, that's- so. Mm-hmm. I just yep. find that that's good to recognize. Like if I can recognize, if I can see myself doing that, I'm like, oh, I need to realize that I'm not, I'm not a little Turn girl. It <laughs> I don't really need this person to like me that much right now. Everybody's like, not always going to like us, you know. Yeah. And you're and, right. And the- as much as possible, if you're at work, sometimes you have to deal with stuff. Maybe where not everybody's going to be, you know. You're not going to be everybody's favorite person, but put yourself with people that are, you know, at least not trying to hurt you, right, and uh, respectful of you. And it could be difficult um, when there's really, really people that you really love. I'm like a parent. Some people are dealing with that with their parents. Some people are dealing with that with their children. Like, we're sharing a little bit of, you know, sometimes sharing uh, with loved ones, it could be difficult for them because they're trying to process that, and the way they process it is, is you know, and or and or react from that reaction from us sharing can sometimes be very hurtful to us. But you know, it's, it's hard because it's still someone that's extremely close to you and you love, and so uh, sometimes you can't just push the person away completely, like what I what I what I was saying, but. Um, sometimes you have to, you know, kind of limit um, the interaction or make sure that you set certain boundaries. Like you try, maybe you yourself try to avoid certain topics with that particular person because you know that, you know, it'll trigger them and then it'll trigger you if they get triggered and say the yeah. wrong thing. So just learning how to categorize certain people, what they can handle, what they can't, because certain people you can just. Uh, completely cut off, obviously, when it's, like, really, really close loved ones, but learning how to not expect from them because our hearts, like, you know, our hearts have been broken at such a high level that, you know, we still, even though some people think that because your heart's been broken at that high level, that sometimes it builds you to be tough, and some people do become mean girls and become tough. But sometimes that's just the outer shell to protect ourselves. It's like I said, you know, for me, distancing myself, that's how I protect myself. If I if I find that I'm not being um, welcomed, I'm not feeling loved, I remove myself. Instead of sitting there crying, I just remove myself <laughs> and 
stay busy somewhere else. Um, but again, you know, different people have different ways of coping. And, um, you know, I just wish that we could all just get along, you know, everybody could just get along. <laughs> uh, put ourselves first yeah. always. Um, uh, we should always put ourselves first because the type of work that we do in the community and, um, and and maybe some people don't do a lot of work in the community, but some people just do a lot of work, you know, to help other people. Some people just love helping other people, uh, and that still works in the community, even though, you know, we put in different categories. But in order for us to be able to have that wonderful, beautiful heart that's giving and loving and sustain that, we have to pour into ourselves. And we have to protect our hearts, you know. Um we have to protect our minds. We have to protect our hearts, and it's okay. Because I don't want to be mean. I don't want to ever turn to be a mean girl, and I don't want to turn and be hard and cold and be mean to be. I don't ever want to be that person. Mm. I love my heart, and I I see sometimes I see the blessings from my heart. Things doors open up. Things open up. And um and I love to see the smile on people's faces. And then like us right now. Us being here, it takes a heart to be here. If you didn't care about the topic, if you and and it's not to say you know this topic's not for everybody. Everybody has a community. Some people come together because they've been through domestic violence. Some people come together because they've been adopted. Some people, whatever it is. But as long as you have a heart for something bigger than you, that's what matters. As long as you're doing something that's not just for yourself. That's what matters. And in order to be able to do that, in order to be able to pour into other people, we have to first pour into ourselves. Because we hear that. You cannot pour from an empty cup. It's seriously true. And when you're holding on to anger and hate in your hand and you're holding it tight, you cannot. your hand's not open to receive all the good stuff, all the blessings, all the good things that life has to offer you. Because you deserve happiness, too. You think we went through what we went through, it was just for the testimony, it was just for, you know, the connection, it was just for to build the ministry, or it was just to, to help other people, it was just to, it was just to, that's not who we are, that was just to, but that's not who we are. Mm. You know, we're beautiful people, and we just have to foster that beauty. This is the season to foster the beauty and keep shining. Mm. I love, I love my, I love my heart. I, uh-huh. I, I, I get mad. I'm I like, like being able to feel and love and appreciate people yeah. and myself and the good things in my life. Like, yeah, yeah, because that's who you are. Sometimes I'm not gonna lie. I get mad at myself sometimes because I do care. You know, when when somebody's mean to me or somebody's you know rejecting me, I'm like, oh my god, I wish that I really didn't care. Me, I'll be thinking about it that night, like, oh my god, I can't believe that we're, you know. And then the next day, sometimes I think, and sometimes I wish that I could just be like, oh please. Some people are so mean they don't care about nothing. <laughs> you know, anything that happens, they're like, please. Hey. Me, I think about it the next day. I think about it during the night. I think about it. But, um, you know, I'm learning to strengthen that area because, like you said, um, you know, you shared earlier, the important part is when we start to recognize what we need to work on. 
That's our yeah, I mean, that's an advantage. I mean, you can think about it like that way. You have an advantage when you know that it's just good to be yeah. good to people, and that's an extension of being good to yourself because it makes your interactions with people nicer, and not everybody gets it. They're too defensive, and you know, so it, they need to fight with everybody, you know. And, and sometimes, you know, I, I, I'm not very tolerant of certain behaviors, especially if you if you get on the right nerve on certain topics, like sometimes I'm I'm really good at rolling with it, but you know, and then I have to forgive myself. I have to forgive myself because because I'm doing the best I can and you know, and so I have to extend that to other people because it's like if I can forgive myself, it helps me forgive other people. If I forgive other people it helps forgive me myself because it's like we are all just people doing what we know you know what I mean or what we're aware of as the best choice in that moment right that was good yeah. it sounds yeah. good sometimes people get really mad like, I don't want to forgive anybody but <laughs> you know cool. it does hurt us to hold on anger so we don't want to hurt ourselves more it's like re-victimizing yourself to hold on to it and just be mad all the time you know I mean you don't have to be content with a situation you can try to change it but you don't want to make I don't know it just doesn't feel good to be upset all the time right right and that person's forgiveness gives you that peace more that peace right because that person that did the abuse, they already, they have moved on. They sleeping at night. They just, not all. Some people are, you know, paying for it fully, completely. But for us, like, that's not who we are. That's something that happened to us, you know. And, you know, that's not, it wasn't our, it wasn't our fault, whatever it was. And why do we have to continue to carry that and allow it to, to take over our, our souls, our spirits, and make us talk to people and change who we are as people. It's already already changed so much, obviously, because obviously uh, the level of abuse has some form of impact on us. But why do we have to, like, really allow it to take over and change us and, and affect our lives further than it already did, you know? And... A lot of us who've been through different forms of abuse are those people that are going to be somebody else's saving grace. You know, we're going to be the people who work at, at um, certain jobs, certain, um, you know, and like we were, like you were sharing earlier, you know, counseling, therapy, authors, um, the yeah. victims. I'm unit. a school counselor. I'm not a therapist yeah. counselor, but that's a, that's I still do counselor. some of that. Yeah, same yep. stuff. That's uh-huh. counselor. Yep, all that, all the stuff that, you know, and Kim shared, you know, she did the counseling program for her church. You know, I, you know, my degrees in Christian counseling also in ministry. I mean, it doesn't, whatever it is, even if you're an advocate, um, if you're working for the victim's unit, you are now, you are, you're an expert in your recovery. And you have so much to bring in order to help others recover. That's great to use it as a power, turn it around, you know, and not get stuck with it. And and it's very hard not to get stuck with it. You know, it's not easy. 
But for those who who learn to work through it, and I and Ms. Kim said something earlier too. Um, both of you said something. All of y'all have said this in different different times. As long as you do the work, you have to be willing to do the work. It's not easy, but if you do the work, you're coming out winning. That's the that's the truth. I mean, it's not easy to be in pain either, you know? So it's like, to me, it's realizing, you know what? Will Smith said something. (laughs) quote Will Smith. He was like, I am disciplined because I love myself because I know that when I do this, this is better for me, you know? And, and, And that is, you have I have to realize that like I love myself it's okay to love yourself and then part of loving yourself is like okay what do I need right now what what can I you know and also to recognize how much you've already been through you know so that you don't feel like I mean you've survived you're breathing and taking up space you're here you got here somehow you are resilient you know, and then all we do is we look for the best possible choice, you know, as we go along. Right. Right. And sometimes it's just like to relax a little bit. Like, you know, if you've been, sometimes I feel like we have to rewire our brains so that we don't feel like we're always doing something wrong. Or, mm-hmm. that, was, that was good. I have a question. How do you start, how do you begin the process of learning how to love yourself again after being broken and going through those things? How do you learn to love yourself again? Because, you know, people need to know. And and there's many different ways of doing that. So if we can just share, how do we learn? How do we do do that reprogramming stuff to get to love ourselves again? After disappointment and abuse, how do you start I mean, for somebody right now laying on that floor, drunk, high, depressed? How do you start? You see yourself as a human being. Sometimes I do like think of myself as a little girl. Not that I am a little girl, but like I see myself as a little girl, and I'm like that little girl deserves to true. be loved, and everybody deserves love you know and it's allowing yourself to recognize that your thoughts are not always correct you know and sometimes they're not right or wrong but sometimes they you know like like, I hate everything that's a generalization okay so I don't actually hate everything paying attention to your thoughts considering yourself as a person if you wouldn't do it to anybody else, why would you do this to yourself? Because you are somebody, you know. I think that that's a a good thing to remember. Said that because I I feel for that little girl. I go through stages where I, I you know I replay like I'll see a section of my life in my mind. Like I'll see I have a little vision of me at a certain point in my life going through some certain things, and I I said, you know, I never really had, took the time to feel bad for that little girl. I'm so used to just having to overcome 
and be strong and keep it moving and not talk about it because growing up, you don't talk about it, right? And so I just, I suppressed all those feelings for all these years. But when I finally, I remember a few times, but when I finally sat down and started really looking at that little girl, I just wanted to hug myself. I, I felt really bad for that little girl. Like, my God, you know, if you watch the news today and saw another little girl going through some of the stuff we've been through, we'd be like, oh, my gosh, that little girl was us or that little boy was us. That's hard. And it's okay to feel bad for ourselves for a minute. I'm not saying to do a self-pity all the time because there's some people that they live in that, woe is me. And you'd be like, all right, now, that's enough. But to extend but, that comfort to yourself. Yeah, because we to do it for us. comfort yourself. And even grown people deserve comfort, you know. Yeah. What you think about that, Miss Kim, or that little boy? Yeah, and I think that's done that. a lot more work than that, too, over the last couple of years or so. And um, I was just thinking about that as a counselor. Every day, maybe doing a little bit more of that work just because I think there's some kind of roadblock there, <laughs> and um, right. and I'm trying to, you know, totally change everything in my life right now. So we might as well dig deeper if <laughs> <Yeah>, doing it. <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah, it it does. It, it's true. You wouldn't have. You feel so much. Sympathy or an empathy for a child now, you know, and mm-hmm. we're so hard on ourselves. And that's, uh, and, you know, and I'm sure that a lot of that comes from insecurities and, you know, that we get from not feeling heard or wanted or mm. whatever as a child. You know, we didn't get what we needed as children. So, so yeah. It's been a. A great conversation tonight. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. On, everybody. Thank you. It was great. Yeah, I mean, to learn to fall back on yourself, you know, like to be that parent for yourself. Sure. It's kind of weird sometimes. Like, what am I? I I'm, but I, I really am somebody. I'm like, oh. <laughs> I know you. <laughs> you are someone. That used to be like the scariest thing. The scariest thing to me was the idea of being like lost out somewhere in the middle of nowhere where there was nobody. And then somebody was like, you're always with yourself. And that is, you know, that has been a concept for me, you know. I mean, not to like take it all the way the other way and be like a total you know, narcissist, but it's like to just to recognize that you are someone and that you can give. I think that some people learn those coping skills to comfort themselves as they grow up, that that's taught to them. But it's like, you know, some musicians are self-taught, right? And, and, and sometimes we have to be more self-taught about how we take care of ourselves if we didn't get it quite the way, you know, other people did when we were little, 
now we have to self-teach, you know. Dude, Eric Clapton taught himself to play guitar, so we could probably teach ourselves to love ourselves, right? You know? Yeah. I'm, I'm dating myself. Do you guys even know who Eric Clapton is? <laughs> Good. <laughs> I'm Good. old. I'm old. I found out the other day that I'm old. We're not old. Her. I just found out because I'm going to be 50 next year. I just found out that I, I qualify for the American retired people next year. And I was like, so I ended up getting into this like conversation with these people, the American retirement, the AARP. And, um, you know, and so then we had to have another conversation about valuing ourselves as we grow older and being wiser so they talked me down when I found out that I could qualify for the next year. Yay, that's great. Shoot. <laughs> I like that conversation. And even <laughs> if you're not, you know, I, I mean, I don't know how old you are, but I feel like people should feel good about growing older. They shouldn't be, like, afraid to grow older. Like, oh, no. You know, like you would hear... I mean, gosh, you hear people say, like, oh, they don't even want to be 30. They're afraid to get wrinkles. They're afraid their life will be over. And that is just not true, you know? I mean, our lives grow richer. There's stuff to look forward to, you know? Right. And some people don't even make it to 20, don't make it to 30. So those are the things, like, when my birthday is coming, I get mad. When my birthday is coming, I get mad, like, oh, dang, I wish I would have stayed 25 forever. But then I'm like, you know what? But some people really did stay 25 forever. And you know what? We get to see every, you know, all these changes, everything. We, we're still here. So I, I, I said to myself, let me stop being ungrateful because thank God that I made it to this age, you know, and I hope to make it to. I always say, I, mean, I hope to make it to like 111. Everybody's like, what? I'm like, listen, there's some people who are older and they're in good health and they're walking around, they're feeling good, they're doing all kinds of things. I just don't want to be like, you know, where I can't really do much because I'm dependent on people. But, you know, I hope to, to live a long life. That's what I hope for. But uh, yeah. so I, I try to embrace it. <laughs> I try to embrace it. It's I good try. to grow wise. Yeah. yeah. Yes. I mean, tell y'all to hate it. That's what we are ladies. Hey, <laughs> okay. so this because I like that. <laughs> I'm gonna tell y'all a joke. Um, I have, I had, I had one gray hair on my temple, right? I have one gray hair on my temple, and I was like, you know what? I have this one gray hair. Like it took my mother a long time to. to for like to get gray hair. She has a little bit of gray hair. So it's just not really something from my mother's side. From my father's side, it's a different story. But anyways, I had one gray hair on my temple. And, I, you know, I'm in the, uh, in the uh, beauty industry, hair industry. I heard growing mm-hmm. up that if you pull that one gray hair, you'll get two. And then you'll get, oh. you know, a while. Or you'll like get bald. <laughs> that was, that's, the, that's the answer, right? They said well, no, I, said I hear people I hear people say that all the time, but then I heard that if you pluck the hair, 
you pull that one here, you're going to get two. So then I Googled because I grew up hearing this. So I Googled, and Google was like, that makes absolutely no sense. That makes no sense at all. That's not really I would love for Google to talk to you like that. (laughs) I'm telling you, people people were making If Google was just like, you're tripping, why are you even asking me this? (laughs) Well, no, it was people answering the question, and people were like, it makes no sense, that's ridiculous, it's not true. People were answering on Google. I was like, oh, my God, never mind. So guess what I did? I pulled that one gray hair. Now I have to. That's the moral now of the you have story. To. <laughs> I think you were probably going to get a second one anyway. Yeah, it was probably that's coming in Google anyway. Said. You know what? That's what Google said. Google was like, that makes absolutely no sense. But I promise you, I had one for the longest time. I just had this one. As soon as I pulled it out, a few weeks later, I looked, I had two. I said, I'm not pulling nothing else. That I'm done. I'm just going to let it just. Oh, I'm waiting let it for you. <laughs> I think it's beautiful. I was just going to say that. I love it. Yeah, because I I wanted to go gray. I I went in and I tried to get my hair done and I said, I want to have gray highlights. And my hair is like a light brown. And the lady was like, well, you can't do that. I'm like, what did you do? I wanted to have gray highlights put in. But it just turned oh. out kind of ashy looking, and it didn't look good. She oh. said it's because I need to lighten it or or something. So I'd have to go through yeah, like a couple processes, I guess, to get it to oh. go. Silver, but it's still not going to look the same as the ladies who have just that natural silver. That's what I want. Hair. It looks so pretty. I love it. That's I what I want to do. I want. But I, I want that full, nice cup, just even through. And then they put a little bit of a little bit of that purple shampoo, just just a little bit, and mm, 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 it looks so good. I love it. <laughs> I don't want just where I have one gray patch on, on my left temple. I want it to go either some pepper or a little yeah. more distributed, you know, nice and and flowy. I, I think it's beautiful. And when I was growing up, my grandmother. Yeah used to tell me that that was that that was a crown from the Lord. So I was waiting for my gray hair because I was like, oh, I want a crown from the Lord. I want a gray oh, crown. Wow. <laughs> my grandmother told me when you start when you get that gray hair, that's a crown from the Lord. I was like, oh, I want one of those crowns. <laughs> yeah. So I guess I'm starting to get the crown on there. So okay. <laughs> so, that's a, you know, How about for a person? I don't hmm? I know there's somebody else on here with us, and I feel like I'm yeah, Philip. Philip, Philip, you got gray hair. <laughs> Thank you, Philip. You got gray hair, Philip. No, not yet. That's all right. You take your. That's time. all right. You gonna get the crown? Yeah. What color is your hair? Brown. Oh, nice. Okay. Go, Philip. You got long hair or short hair? I have a bald head. I have a short hairstyle. (laughs) Nice and easy, huh? You're like, yep, you don't have to deal with all that stuff that we have to deal with, styling and curling, none of it. 
A lot of people do that. My husband, he, he saves us here. Too. He, he saves us here. So he doesn't have to even do anything. He just lives his life. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah. Save on shampoo. <laughs> he just, yeah, just, he shampoos his head. <laughs> he just used, I guess when he takes a shower, he just washes his head with, with just like his arms, his body. You know, but for for us, uh, we have a little more work to do. But, you know, just want to say thank you, everyone, for joining us tonight. We had a wonderful conversation. Um, These topics are sometimes not easy to talk about, and many times they're not easy to talk about. But I think that having, being around a supportive team, a supportive group of people that can relate, supportive group of peers that can understand and can relate and is very important. So, you know, try to find those groups. Um, definitely here at NASCA, we encourage people to join us. We encourage people to share. doesn't matter what level you're on. You don't have to be a therapist. You don't have to be a doctor. You don't have to be you don't have to be a chiropractor, which has nothing to do with nothing, but the point of the matter is all you need to be is you. And um, you know, and just have a heart that's ready to walk in your healing. Or if you're already walking through your healing, come on on the show and just share. Share the steps. You know, we're on Mondays and Wednesdays. Um, normally, Kim and myself, I know Miss Penelope is going to be out of town. I'm going to step in and help a few days. So um, if you guys want to join us, we're here every day pretty much, right, Miss Kim? They do the show every night? Yeah, yeah Monday through Friday. Mm-hmm. And um, they also yeah. have the Zoom support groups. If you guys are Mason, you can go on NASCA.org, um, and um, you can definitely uh, get more information, more. Uh, you can learn more about the support groups and the different dates and a lot of information upon how to support those walking through their recovery and how to get support if you yourself are walking through your recovery so that you just remember that you're not alone. You know, a lot of us are on the on the website. We're available available to connect and um, and or share a resource and direct you to the right place uh, further. Or if you just need to vent and um, and have a listening ear, there's uh, a few people who are not out. I know Miss. Uh, uh, I can't. Why is my mind going blank? Who's the not out, Miss Kim? Miss Carol. No. Yeah. Yeah. Miss Carol. <laughs> there are people who uh, who are there who will listen, so you're not alone. Okay. Um, anything else anybody wants to share before we close down? Well, thank you all for being on. Mm-hmm. Sadie, do you mind if I contact you? Okay. Would you mind if I contacted yeah. you? This is Kim. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I've got your number. I'll I'll send you a text from my phone, okay? Cool. All right. Yes, great. All right, ladies, and hopefully one day you can be uh, our special mm-hmm. guest. You heard oh, me? Thank you. One day you can be one of our special guests. That would be yeah. great as well. Yeah. Please come. Yeah, please come. Thank you for being there with me. 
Yeah, and I appreciate what you said. And you know what? And for everybody, it's like when you feel alone, I've reached out to warm lines. I've done all that, you know. And if you need to talk to somebody, do it, you know. Um, and talk to yourself. Say nice things to yourself. And I hope you all have a good night. Thank you so much. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. you guys too. Be kind to yourself. You Be kind to yourself. And just remember you're not alone. We're always here. Contact us if you'd like to uh, be a special guest. Thank you all, and have a good night. Good night. Good night. Good night. Oh, <laughs> my